building stadiums for a post-pandemic world. What we know today is different than what we knew five months ago. And every month that we're into this, we continue to learn more things. And I think all that's going to inform us as we move into the future of stadium design as to what elements of design will remain fairly consistent, but what other aspects, you know, might we have to look at through a different lens. One of the most talked about effects of the coronavirus pandemic has been the way sport has responded. First, the lockdown that ended competitions in any organized sports. And now gingerly and with some apprehension, professional sports are back in action in the United States and other countries, but the return is hardly a return to normal. We'll be talking about all of this today in this edition of Around the Rings Radio. I'm Ed Hula. On top of the protocols to keep players and staff from exposure to coronavirus, there's now a universal ban on spectators. Stadiums and arenas are empty. Cardboard cutouts of fans filling seats silently. It's almost eerie to watch on TV. What's the future of the sports stadia of the world? Will the pandemic aftermath force cities and teams to reconsider their needs in a stadium? Fewer seats, new technology, new ideas to keep spectators safe are all in the hopper at the studios of the top stadium and venue designers in the world. And we're fortunate to be able to tap some of that expertise on this edition of Around the Rings Radio. Our guests are from Populist, the US-based firm that's a standard bearer for the industry. The company has been involved with designing venues for the Olympics since 1996, as well as planning for the crowds that come for the games. Its work today includes work for the Tokyo Olympics and projects like the design of a new stadium to replace San Siro in Milan. Scott Radisek is a senior principal at Populist who heads the company's NFL practice. Jeff Keyes is also a senior principal, an architect based in the Denver office of Populist. And he's been handling work for Tokyo 2020 as well as other projects. Gentlemen, welcome to Around the Rings Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Ed. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Happy to be here. The notion that there's change afoot in the uh, stadium world sort of obvious given the the changes the professional sports, amateur sports are having to go through dealing with the ramifications of the pandemic that we've been experiencing here. Is this going to provide a, a big change for the stadium industry, for the work that you do planning these new venues, these new facilities? Uh, I'll, I'll uh, start off, Scott, if that's okay. Uh, yeah. I, I think the, the first thing to say is we're still learning. Uh, some of the things that we thought about four months ago, five months ago, in terms of how this may be impacting us now, uh, our thoughts have even evolved and changed in the, in the past uh, three months, two months. And so I, I think no one really has that crystal ball of exactly what's going to uh, change in the future. But we, we do have uh, good ideas now of probably what are here to stay. I, I think... Um, there's some things that will change in terms of the food service. Uh, I don't think that's going to go back to, to the ways of old. I, I think in terms of how we queue uh, and whether it be entries or how we exit, I, I think um, there's also uh, the virtual audience uh, component as well. Um, so I, I do think there's things that will change in, in the future, but 
um, hopefully, um, we all like to, to go to sporting events and entertainment events, and that in-person experience still is, is going to be very, very important. And, and um, I guess we're all hopeful for either better treatment or a vaccine that gets us in a place like that. Yeah, the, the assumptions that you, you, you make about designing a, a, a sports venue, I guess, have, have significantly changed over the past six months. Uh, a stadium that you're asked to do today won't be the same uh, set of assumptions guiding it as uh, one that you started designing a few years ago. Yeah, I think that's probably still still to be determined. I mean, the fundamental aspects of bringing people together for a major sporting event uh, are, are still very similar, right? We happen to be in a period of time where, where this current virus is causing people to have to stay a little bit more physically separated than they would normally want to be. And so, you know, we look at that as, as, at the moment, we look at that as temporarily, right? What do we need to do to accommodate the provisions, you know, at this point in time to temporarily make some changes. And then I think as, again, as Jeff just said, you know, what we know today is different than what we knew five months ago. And every month that we're into this, we continue to learn more things. And I think all that's gonna inform us as we move into the future of stadium design as to what elements of design will remain fairly consistent, but what other aspects you know, might we have to look at through a different lens? Now, are, are there are there projects that uh, you're you're looking at that you're working on that maybe you've had to like make put a halt to or uh, slow down on as you try to figure out what kind of more permanent changes are going to result from all of this? Yeah, you know, in in our current uh, design work uh, in the U.S., when I think about you know college, major college sports, or even major professional sports, uh, I wouldn't say that there's been any major or significant delay to design activities. I know that there were times when people were on job sites, and if they had uh, you know, a case uh, of the virus show up that the job site had to stop and they had to quarantine. And there's clearly new protocols for accessing job sites and, and protocols when you're on a job site. You know, in the design world, uh, I would say m almost every one of our clients continued with all of the design efforts that we were doing. Um, I also would say that, you know, as as architects, we had to learn to you know, and, and we all are used to working remotely anyway because there's so much travel when we're always on the road to go meet with our clients and, and design and develop projects. But, you know, delivering documentation uh, with everybody kind of at a work from home situation has also been something that's gone very well for populace. So, uh, you know, we have had conversations about major areas of these buildings, right? Seating bowls entry sequences, concourses, concessions, you know, and we have those conversations about significant modifications, you know, or more area to do things. And I would say, generally speaking, that there hasn't been any desire from the client side of things to make real uh, drastic or dramatic modifications to everything. However, 
you know, when we start talking about people entering the building, we are making some modifications to queuing and, and the separation of gates and, and uh, magnetometers and some of the things like that. And clearly in our conversations with our food and beverage kind of consultants, there's also conversations about, you know, you know, temporarily changing the way food is, is prepared and distributed and then kind of waiting to see, is that something that, you know, is going to stay that way or will it really dramatically change how that occurs in the future? Still to be determined. Yeah, Scott Radisek is a uh, senior principal at Populous, the stadium design firm. Also with us is Jeff Keyes, uh, another senior principal with the firm. Uh, Jeff Keyes, you've been working on the overlay for, for Tokyo 2020. Um, what kind of work have you been doing that would be affected by the, by the pandemic? What kind of adjustment do you think they're, they're going to have to make in terms of their overlaying crowd movement and that sort of thing for, for Tokyo? Well, the, the one thing that the IOC and Tokyo 2020 are working on at the moment, um, they are thinking about, uh, I guess, three scenarios, full capacity, reduced capacity, no capacity in terms of uh, spectators. I don't think anybody really wants to go to a no capacity situation, um, but they're having to look at the, the various scenarios of what might be out there and how that um, will impact budgets because uh, that's just the reality. You know, it's, um, you, you go to a sport event and you think of it as a, as, a, as a mass gathering of people. There's the energy, there's the enthusiasm. How do you, how do you, how do you, provide for that with crowds that are dispersed the, the way they may, they may have to be in the, in the, in the long term. Do you, do you create a different a fan experience out of all of well, that? Some of the things that, that we've seen, um, uh, a few uh, have piped in noise, so they piped in some uh, audience noise. So we've seen the English Premier League do that. Um, We've also seen them do it just on TV, so not necessarily in the stand, but on to do it virtually uh, on, on the TV. Um, we've seen what the NBA is doing with the virtual audience, which is a very interesting idea. Um, and so those are ideas that maybe may stick around, right? Not not in totality, but more as a supplement. So you're, again, you're never going to uh, supplement uh, entirely a, a full spectator stand. That's that's kind of the um, that's that's the the ideal situation, but I, I there are ideas on a virtual audience that could be here to stay. Now I did a piece about virtual audiences a, a few months ago, as it applies could apply to the Olympics. You literally, divide up the, the the stadium into sections by continent, by country, uh, uh, that sort of thing. How sophisticated can stadiums get how sophisticated the design can there be for a virtual audience can every seat in a stadium be be wired or plugged into uh the grand internet to be able to put a person there from any place in the world well um good good question i, I think it's absolutely possible with the technology that is out there um, we, we've come up with, as an example, we've come up with ideas with stadiums and arenas where we can uh, flex this, the capacity of, this, of the arena, right? So you might say the lower seating bowl might be eight to 10,000 and the entire uh, seating bowl, including the upper deck might be 
18,000, right? But you might be able to want to flex the size of that arena, depending on, on the whatever um, entertainment or, or sport you have, whatever capacity you need. So just like you can flex the, the capacity, I think you can also then flex in terms of this virtual audience. And I think it could be a certainly a permanent installation or component of new build. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. Yeah, you know, we we've 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 been investigating different ways to incorporate incorporate technology into these buildings for a while. And you know, clearly there is a cost component of doing that, but whether it was to activate unused seats in a stadium uh, in some way or whether it is to bring a virtual fan into the building in some way, or like Jeff was saying, you know, whether it's a way to rescale a building, to have a very scalable building. They're all things that we've been, we've been researching and investigating and, and working with other vendors and technology companies to create prototypes. Cause you never really know when that application might find its home somewhere. Um, but to what Jeff said early on, you know, we, we as a company, do have the belief that we know fans want to be together, right? We know people like to gather together for those experiences. I think that in this specific timing right now of the, the pandemic and the way it's kind of disrupted lives, it's clearly disrupted sport, but yet, uh, you know, all of our clients and all these leagues are looking for ways to try to get back to the most I guess the most achievable sense of normalcy. And if it happens to include virtual fans for a while, I think it'll do that. If it happens to use certain technologies for a while, I think it'll do that. Ultimately in the end, you know, there, there may be some changes to a building long-term, but clearly the fundamental aspect of bringing people together, you know, we will get back to that at some point. Yeah, we're talking with Scott Radisek from Populous along with Jeff Keyes from the stadium design firm as well. Um, what, what has the pandemic done to the appetite to, to build stadiums uh, around the world? Um, has there been any you know, postponement of, of plans to, to build new arenas while the dust settles from the pandemic? Um, are there any uh, you know, big projects out there waiting to be, uh, to be tackled uh, once everybody has a better idea of how how these designs will move forward. Uh, yes, absolutely. I do think I do think that that this pandemic is affecting that. You know, there are still a lot of aspects of stadium planning and development that can occur, but in terms of when they get executed, as to when they kick off, as to when they begin with a significant investment you know, into design and construction. I think that there is currently, you know, uh, a little wait and see to know how dramatically will, will, will this reduce capacity situation, right? No capacity, reduced capacity, shortened seasons, seasons that are being modified. You know, all those things have a direct impact on the revenue that the teams and leagues can generate from these events. And until that's really fully known, uh, you know, yeah, we are seeing a, you know, in the development of new buildings, we are seeing some kind of wait and see attitude right now, yeah, which is only, I think it's only, 
you know, uh, expected, you know, to be prudent and to be able to see and understand, especially as Jess said earlier, you know, we're, 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 we're five months into this, five, six months, and, and every month we're learning new things about how it's affected a sport, how it's spreading, how it's being kind of contained. And, and so uh, I think there's just a little bit more time that needs to get by before we can know how to really proceed appropriately. I mentioned uh, San Siro, the uh, soccer football stadium in in, in Milan that's uh, a century old, just about. Uh, and I think you're on the short list to uh, to design that that stadium there. Is that one of those projects that will be uh, on hold until things become a little bit more clear, or are they moving ahead with uh, with that project in Milan? Yeah, I don't know if Jeff has any more information than I do, uh, but I know that that process has kind of, it, it is being delayed while they make some decisions and wait to see what happens. So I can't, I wouldn't be able to give you a time frame on that, but it is clearly the, the uh, you know, the goals and objectives of that project haven't changed at all. And so uh, it is going to happen. It's just a matter of uh, when that could get back and get started again. Yeah, I think the thing I'd add to that is uh, the delay or, or the, you know, in, in getting appointed and getting started. Uh, it's not our understanding that that has anything to do with the pandemic. Um, that was already, um, there was already a delay in the decision making already. Mm -hmm. yeah, you, you have a, a good size firm, of, I think a, a few hundred employees with your company and Kansas City, Denver, other other locations. Uh, have you been ha had to add any medical expertise to your to your team and seek out people who are experts in contagious diseases and their their transmission and spread? Well, one of the things that we did uh, when the pandemic, I, I guess, kicked off uh, in in high gear in, in early March is we created uh, two discussion groups. One was called a college think tank and one was called the event Roundtable. And the college think tank had university athletic directors as well as facility operators. Uh, we would host calls with 80 or 90 up to 100 people on those calls. And really what we were trying to do was gather information, share information. On the event Roundtable, we had a lot of our uh, current clients from the, the NFL to Major League Baseball to the NHL, even the IOC and the NCAA. Uh, and we also had facility operators on there. And I share this because the whole intent was to just gather information, listen, just be part of the of finding a solution to get our, our, our uh, venues reopened. And in those discussions, we had um, we had infectious disease doctors uh, that were experts in this field on those discussions. Um, because yes, we absolutely want to hear from, from the experts in, in terms of what they feel um, from a medical point of view and then how that might impact from a design or an operational point of view. I, and Jeff, you were involved with the uh, project in Beijing for the ice rink there called the, uh, called the Ice Ribbon. Uh, a new venue on the uh, Olympic Green where the 2008 Summer Olympics were held. Uh, that venue is uh, pretty much complete. Do there need to be any changes to it 
uh, since the uh, pandemic has broken. I think it's a 20,000 seat arena. How will that, uh, how will that be operating in 2022? Yeah, in, in terms of the physical build, let's call it the permanent build, the bricks and mortar component, I can't see anything that needs to be changed there. Um, certainly, I think it's still um, to be determined what kind of overlay changes, what kind of operational changes may need to take place. Probably the biggest, um, uh, the biggest thing to look at, again, is capacity. Uh, will it be full capacity or partial capacity by the time we get to February of 2022 when the Beijing Olympics and Paralympics take place? Um, if, if, it's, if, um, if there's still concern and it's a reduced capacity, um, there will definitely be impacts in terms of seating bowls, uh, in terms of physical distancing and the concourses, the queuing, um, all of that. Um, so it, it's still, I, I, I know Scott and I keep saying uh, it's a little bit of to be determined, but that's what it is. But I think right now for these organizing committees, um, both Tokyo as well as Beijing, it's, um, it's contingency planning. It's, it's looking at various scenarios yeah, and Ed, Ed to, to kind of add on to what Jeff had said in your question about medical experts, you know, we've taken the approach that we haven't added anybody to our staff that really we want to go and seek out the best experts on, you know, so we've talked with various doctors and virologists and epidemiologists uh, in various places around the country in order to understand and get their opinion on, you know, mitigation factors, the aspects of social distancing and mask wearing and interactions and how these things spread and, and how to how to mitigate. And, and so when we are doing any uh, current kind of venue readiness planning on how to bring how to, one, how to get a sporting event going again without people, without fans, or how to bring it back with fans, you know, and what does that look like? It's, it's the continuous and the, and the exploration of the layering of all the multiple mitigation factors over one another in order to try to create a way to bring fans responsibly and safely back into stadiums for sporting events. And the, the, the sporting events that we watch on TV are right now devoid of fans. Uh, it's uh, kind of an eerie, strange experience to, to watch these games, NBA games, uh, baseball, hockey, without, without the crowds. Uh, Scott, uh, uh, what's, your, what's your reaction when you see these <laughs> fanless games? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It seems like fans seem to be more upset about the fact that there's no fans in the buildings. I mean, as a former professional athlete and collegiate athlete, you practice every day and nobody watches you, right? And, and you have very intense practices every day and nobody watches you. And so, you know, the game days are that unique, right? That game time, that event time. It's such a magical moment because you actually get to do the things you do every day alone. You get to do it in front of people. And so to be able to play a game, you know, without fans, I believe that the professional athletes are, uh, they're capable of doing that, right? Playing at their highest level, no matter if there's fans or not. Clearly, 
you know, the atmosphere that gets created when you have that many people in a building is magical and it's exceptional. And there clearly is a, 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 a level of energy in a building that, you know, that they, that all that fans bring to it. However, to be able to perform, you know, at highest level, I, I believe that professional athletes can do that. And again, I think everybody realizes that it's a temporary situation, not knowing how long temporary means, right? We don't know exactly how long that is, but, but, um, you know, being able to do that uh, successfully right now and still allow people to be at home or wherever and be able to watch those events is clearly, uh, you know, as important as ever because people are, are looking, even if they can't be there in person, they are clearly still looking to engage in that sport with everyone. Yeah, Jeff Keyes, when you watch a baseball game right now, what, what's your what's your reaction when you see well, the I, spectacle there? <laughs> I, I, I think Scott and I, we're, we're obviously very close to this, and we've had lots of conversations with various leagues and facility owners. So as an example, I mentioned the event roundtable that, uh, that, I, that I hosted. Um, our very first meeting, we were talking about what is it going to take to get spectators back into these venues and almost across the board, uh, our, 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 our guests all said, uh, slow your roll, Jeff. Um, how about we just try to get some athletes back to playing on the field to play, um, mm -hmm. podcast going so people can actually enjoy that in, in their homes, uh, while they're, while they're, um, shielding. And so when I see major league baseball, even though with no fans or the NBA or the NHL, I actually get quite excited and I get quite hopeful that we're on the road to recovery. You know, let's, let's first prove, uh, let's let the facilities and the leagues prove that they can get sport happening back in a safe way. And then let's slowly start adding the spectator component. But I, I see we're back on a positive path. So I see hope when I see, even though there's no fans, and yes, I, I wish there were, we all wish there were, but um, it, we're, we're heading to, in the right direction, I think. And, and we're, we're getting ready to see perhaps NFL action uh, here in the United States. Uh, what, what lessons might the NFL take away from this experience so far that baseball, hockey, uh, basketball are going through right now with the uh, crowdless games? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, and I think that uh, I do believe that the teams and the league are watching kind of how, how those leagues and teams that are currently going through that, what's going well, what's not going well, how could we rethink this aspect if there was some situation that occurred that wasn't in, you know, that kind of was a little bit of a setback? How can we deal with that situation differently? And so I think they are trying to learn from that experience. And I know from all the, the teams that we've been working with directly that there is a real emphasis on fan safety. There is a huge emphasis on responsibly reopening these buildings uh, to get, you know, to, to allow people to enjoy the game, but knowing that they just have to maintain some physical distance, they have to follow, you know, the CDC guidelines. And, and so if they have to wear a face mask, face covering, they will, right? If they have to sit six feet apart, 
they will. If they have to have slightly different operations, you know, they will because it's in the best interest of, well, it's in the best interest of everybody. In fact, we even had one doctor who uh, brought up a term that we've kind of latched onto called the social contract that, you know, the, your fans are just such avid, you know, avid, um, you know, supporters of these teams. And these teams are such major, you know, aspects of the different cities that they're in. It doesn't matter what the sport is anywhere around the world. And if it means that, you know, you have to abide by a new social contract for a little bit of time that says, I will keep distance and I will wear some face protection and I will take a few different protocols in order for the better benefit of the, of the city to have a sporting event played with people in it and I get to participate in it. It seems like just, a, you know, it doesn't seem like such a hard thing to have to do for a few games or for a season because of the benefit if we do successfully do that, how much better that is for everybody. So we do believe that fans will enter into that so-called social contract and abide by whatever the new regulations and guidelines have to be for a while in order to be able to, to have sporting events back in society. again. And, um, you know, back to Tokyo 2020, the, the decision has yet to be made about how the spectators will be handled for, for those games next year. Uh, should they take place as they're now planning? Uh, Jeff Keyes, uh, well, IOC President Thomas Bach has said he just doesn't see how they can have Olympics without spectators, but that possibility still could loom uh, if, 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 the, if the games are to be held uh, in Tokyo next year. But uh, Jeff Keyes, what about the spectators for the Olympics. How, how can they be best accommodated in Tokyo? Well, in, in many ways, I think uh, Tokyo is, I don't want to use the word fortunate because they would probably say they're very unfortunate to have their games postponed. But in terms of the, the life cycle of what we're doing here, um, they have an opportunity to see what's happening in Europe and the US and around the world in terms of other sporting leagues and how they're handling um, call it limited capacity fans. So we know that there's intentions by the NFL, maybe by uh, university uh, football to get fans in the stands with social distancing. And so they have an opportunity to watch that and, and, and learn from that uh, before they actually decide. I, I personally believe that that's probably a, a very viable uh, approach is the reduced capacity for Tokyo 2020. But let's not count out um, the, the potential for, for maybe a, vi a vaccine, maybe better treatment. Um, I think it's uh, probably uh, difficult for everybody to think about a full capacity stadium right now by the summer of 2021, but it certainly can't be um, counted out. All right, Jeff Keyes from Populous, senior principal there, along with Scott Radisak, one of the founders of Populous about 30 years ago. Two men with a great deal of experience and know-how in how to build a stadium, how to make it fit for the crowds, and dealing with the possibilities of uh, of the future for the for the stadium industry. Thanks very much for joining us today on this edition of Around the Rings Radio. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Ed. And thank you for joining us on Around the Rings Radio. I'm your host, Ed Hula. 
for more than 30 years, your best source of news about the Olympics is AroundTheRings.com.